You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Modern Musicology. My name is Alan, and I have got some really awesome friends with me, as always. Stephanie, how's it going? Hello. Good. How are you? Awesome. Rob, how are you doing? Hey, what's up? And Anthony. Howdy. How is everybody this week? Marvelous, thank you. Having a good week, yeah. Fantastic. I'm going to start us off with a little bit of listener feedback. You all remember me talking about uh, the channel on SiriusXM volume, which is the talk music channel, and it was going away, and I was so heartbroken. Yes. And um, that I had, I was kind of inspired to start this podcast because of listening to that channel. So two weeks ago, I posted our episode about the B-sides in that group. And there's a big Facebook group called Volume Maniacs. And I posted our episode in there saying, you know, somebody here might be interested in this. I was inspired by volume to start this podcast. And this is a topic that I haven't ever heard any of the shows discuss. And I thought people might find it interesting. So I got a lot of really good feedback from it. Um, A lot of people subscribed. People said they enjoyed it. And Julie Ann Anderson particularly um, said that she enjoyed that episode and subscribed because of it. So I just want to say thank you so much to all the folks from the Volume Maniacs who are new listeners. I We really appreciate it. It's great to have you all on board. And I can't wait to uh, get some new topics out for you guys to hear. So That's so wonderful. Awesome. Yeah. Welcome to the show, guys. Yeah. They are a really, really passionate group of people and really cool. So welcome aboard, everybody. All right. Um, we've got a couple of people that we need to talk about this week that sadly just passed away. Uh, the first one, let's talk about Olivia Newton, John. Um, what do you guys remember about her? Uh, what impact did she have on your listening? I I know for me, you know, I just think of her a lot when I think about my camp experience when I was younger, maybe I was from when I was about 11 to when I was about 15 um, we, oh, first of all, of course, Greece was huge and it was 1977, I think it came out. Um, but the next year, when I first went to camp in 1978, that soundtrack was all we played, all the whole camp basically played and we would act it out. We would, you know, so, I mean, I knew her from that, but I did know her from, from whatever pop radio, because I mean, I honestly love you. And just so there were so many songs that she had that were hits. Um, and, uh, I think I thought she was totally cool as Sandy in Greece, but I really also, I wasn't maybe thinking she was the hippest person ever with her top 40 songs and stuff like that, but I could even then appreciate her wonderful voice. Like her voice is just beyond. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of with Steph in that, uh, I think where I really encountered her was in watching Greece. Um, Mm -hmm. my, my mother really hit her teenage years in the early 70s. And of course, when Greece came out, she would have been, I think she would have been about 20. And so 
when Greece was reissued on VHS in the 90s and I was a wee nipper. My mother picked it up on VHS and uh, and I really fell in love with it. I mean, I, I think the music from Greece, no matter what you say about the the message it kind of sends at the end, <laughs> is just fantastic. And her voice is a huge part of that. Oh, yeah. Um, I was never that familiar with her pop career outside of that, but I loved Greece as a kid. I want to say that her talent was far outmatched than the material she was given. Before all the pop hits, she did a lot of sort of like, like folky singer-songwriter kind of stuff that a lot of it is much better than people might think. Um, I remember going, you know, my, I do remember Grease coming out and my brother just going absolutely nuts for it and my sister's going nuts for it. And it was just a case of oversaturation. Um, I think I was nine. And then uh, I remember, you know, like like anybody who grew up in the mid to late 70s during the summer, you know, our, your parents would just dump you off at the pool all day. Um, and I just remember going to the pool and hearing everything, you know, especially 1981, because she had a great 1981. But like physical mm. uh, magic, like right. uh, the days when Top 40 Radio was really Top 40 Radio, you would hear it like six or seven times in an hour. Right. When did Xanadu come out? Also, uh, yeah, eighty. I think. Yeah, because you hear that like now. And I went to I went to see Xanadu at the Jamestown Mall Theater with my brother and four of his friends, and uh, that was the first time I'd ever seen a drag queen. Um, <laughs> Coincidentally, um, which so I, that's just part of the reasons it sticks out is I just remember it like yeah, I was young and I knew it was just like okay, there's a cultural touchstone here I'm not getting, and. Um, I still love it. I mean, it's it's horribly camp and it's silly and it's very dated. But, you know, it's the last thing that Gene Kelly did. It's, you know, Olivia Newton-John and ELO, which, yeah. what, what is that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's sort of her at the height of her fame, right? It's kind of like the Olivia Newton-John mania was just kind of kicking off. And I, you know, I remember, and, and I, Steph, this is where I think you and Alan are going to suddenly feel old. I remember, like, Solid Gold. She was on Solid oh, yeah, Gold no, all the time. She was on that. American Bandstand. Yeah. She was a judge on Star Star Search. I just remember <laughs> she was everywhere. Yeah. And this is before MTV. And then I kind of forgot about her for a while until the Juliana Hatfield records came out. And when you hear her songs sung by somebody else, you kind of really appreciate them a little more as a song. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, it's a pop song. It's a pop song that can live beyond the time it was made which is the mark of a great song no matter who wrote it right and you just really appreciate her delivery and that she took these songs that had like like two of a kind that film two of a kind which i did see in the theater but the theme from that is like one of the dumbestly worded pop songs ever but she really makes it totally work and i think that's the twist of fate twist of fate yeah god i love that song i love that song it's a big earworm (laughs) But it's but in terms of practicality, the lyrics are kind of cheap and you know it's, well, it's a guilty. It's a, when we get to guilty pleasures, yeah, that'll be on my guilty pleasures. Yeah, that'll exactly. be my guilty pleasure list, right? Um, but it's like it's very much sort of an earworm, um, cheesy kind of um, not you know it's it's not hey Jew, but it you think about it in the, other than the context of when it was written, and you think about it a different way. And I think the best thing about her is that people this week are starting to think about her as an artist rather than sort of like as a knockoff person in popular culture. Um, you know, I was 
I was, I think I was growing up at exactly the right time to kind of catch the Olivia thing because I really started paying attention to radio like 73, 74, which is when her first like big country hits started to like really catch on here. So, you know, gr uh, driving around in my parents' station wagon with the AM radio on, you know, I heard all of those songs, Let Me Be There and all those great country tunes. By the time she got into her like uh, post-Grease pop fame, um, I was kind of moved on to like the harder rock and some of the metal things. So I wasn't really paying as much attention. Um, my favorite thing that she, I mean, I saw Grease, loved it. It's amazing. My favorite thing that she ever did was in 2000, she was in a movie called Sorted Lives. It was sort of an indie thing. It was, the tagline was, it's a black comedy about white trash. And it's this, <laughs> That's a great tagline. It's this like small town <laughs> in Texas. And the whole thing is about sort of like the cultural divide between the conservative Christians and the more like honky tonk hanging out at the, the local dive bar kind of thing. And they kind of clash. And in the movie, she plays this sort of like down on her luck country singer. And she sings the theme song of the, that's like her big song is the, the theme song of the movie. Uh, that was in 2000. In 2008, they adapted that movie to a TV series. And she, most of the cast came back and did all their roles and she was in it. Um, throughout the majority of her career, she wasn't really a songwriter. She was, you know, given, she would get a songwriting credit here and there, you know, but she wasn't really doing that. It wasn't her thing in the sorted live series. She wrote six new songs for the, uh, for the show, for her character to sing. And they're fantastic songs. Yeah. And they're just kind of like back to basics country songs. Like she, you know, was kind of known for in the beginning of her career. And my favorite of those songs was, it's sort of like one that really encapsulates the whole theme of the show of the conservative versus the more like, you know, white trash kind of element in this town. And uh, the, the lyrics basically say, um, I know one day Jesus is going to come and save me. I know all my cares will fly away like angels or something but she's in a bar and she's uh, she comes to the great bartender and says let jack daniels save my soul tonight it's <laughs> such a great tune it's so cool <laughs> so go find it on youtube and and check it out it's really good um unfortunately there was another major figure that uh passed away this past week and that was lamont dozier who wrote as part of the uh, Holland Dozier Holland songwriting team that was basically the foundation of Motown. I mean, their list of songs that they contributed to Motown. If you think of any Motown, like if you say, think of a Motown song, whatever comes to your mind is probably their song. Just from the Supremes alone, the Supremes had 10 number one hits in America and Holland Dozier Holland wrote nine of those. Their their list of uh, their catalog is insane. So when you think of Motown, Holland, those are Holland, man. They are the kings of that whole scene. Yeah, and I'm going to be honest. Until you guys told me that he'd passed away, I didn't know who he was, which I feel a bit bad about. But when I looked into his career and the career he had with his writing partners, I was like, 
wow, I know virtually every single one of these songs. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah. I, I was hit genuinely shocked. It was yeah. amazing. And then also, you know, he wrote records for Alison Moyet and Simply Red and Phil Collins and that are sort of in the vein of Motown, but Motown attached. And he started Hot Wax, his own label, and made Frida Payne a, a star, you know. So mm. he kind of, he really touched a lot of different aspects of, of, of music because he was a performer himself who put out records none of which were like completely wowed anybody but they were solid records his his records with odyssey are probably the best things that he did but he was a performer he wrote songs he wrote musical arrangements he produced artists and he started a label and that's not even looking at the stuff he did with motown that's yeah. just it's, yeah it's, it's insane yeah i mean this list of songs like you can't hurry love. I mean, that is an American classic. You keep me hanging on. Heat wave, baby love, stop in the name of love. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Just think about also how many people covered those songs. Like the, exactly. the amount of people that did those songs too. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. because they're so great. And yeah. can I get a witness? Stuff that's a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the mm-hmm. all the four top stuff he wrote are just. Yeah, yeah. Reach out, I'll be there. Is a personal favorite of mine. Yeah, I, mean, I always yeah. love that one. I mean, it's like this guy put the accelerator on on like Motown. It's like every record is, you know, two and a half to three minutes of like perfection. Perfection, absolutely. So monumental talent that was lost this week. Um, so other than taking a deep dive on those two folks, what else have you guys been listening to this week? What do you want to give a shout out to? Anthony, what you got? So I got two things that are at very, very different ends of the musical spectrum. Awesome. Um, firstly, I've been listening a lot to our guest from last week, Julianne Worden. Me too. Um, oh, nice, nice. Really, really enjoying her album, Goodbye, Forget Me. I know, it's great, isn't it's it? so good. Yeah. Personal yeah. highlight is Bliss, which yeah. to me, honestly, that has the same kind of vibes I get out of like a le- an early Lana Del Rey song in terms of the music. Yeah. And I know she kind of does a better job than Lana would have done because I think Julianne <laughs> has a nicer voice, but um, I'm getting bitchy. Um, the, <laughs> the you're end- in the right frame of mind for our topic tonight. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> the other end of the spectrum, are, uh, well, the other end of the spectrum is that Arch Enemy, who are a band that I really enjoy, dropped their latest album, Deceivers, on Friday. And for anyone who don't know uh, of Arch Enemy, they are a melodic death metal band that are fronted by one of the, technically one of the best um, screamy metal voices out there. Um, You know, she does the really guttural vocals, but it always surprises people when she is this very petite, very in shape woman. And people are like, wait, that's a woman singing that. Um, I was playing it out loud and and my partner until I showed her a video refused to believe that the noises were coming from a woman. It was amazing. Wow. Um, but it's really, really enjoyable um, for me if, if you're into that kind of thing. Um, and I, I have a few personal highlights it's kind of a, a strange one because they seem to have released about half the album as singles over the past nine months um so i already really knew that handshake with hell was a highlight but there's a really great track on there called the watcher that has just really really been hitting it for me 
So those are really the two things I wanted to give a shout out to this week. Cool. Steph, what you been listening to? You are going to think I'm bananas or obsessed or both because this is like the third time uh, in like maybe four of our podcasts that I'm going to be speaking about Jax. Oh, wow. J-A-X. <laughs> and I will tell you why. Um, because first of all, like I said before, she's got like 5 million TikTok followers or something like that. And she's got, you know, hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers. So she's really in that vein of things. But in th- it was either this week or last week, she broke into the Billboard 100 with her song, Victoria's Secret. And I guess she got so much notice um, from this song that Victoria's Secret, the company, sent her a letter. And basically, she posted this, uh, this whole video about it, about how they sent her a letter. And as she was saying, you know, they were saying, like, how can we make you feel or, or people feel more inclusive or whatever? And first of all, A, wow, you know, Victoria's Secret, they're not changing their business model for anybody, you know, or or let's all write songs about Exxon and see what they do, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, so it was, so she gets this letter and instead of sort of making it all about herself, she first says, I don't feel comfortable singing you know, representing a generation. This is just, I'm a singer songwriter. I'm writing about my own personal experiences. What happened to me when I was, I had an eating disorder. This is what she's saying. She said, but now that I've got the attention of Victoria's Secret and they're pay- paying attention to my page, I want you, my followers, mm. to tell them what you think in this feed. So please comment. And mm. the last time I looked, she had thousands of thousands of times. And I just think <sighs> for a young girl, I thought that was a genius that she basically turned it on its head. But yeah. she also, she's very empathetic. I feel like that was a very kind thing to do. She lets her, she brings her audience in and gives them a voice. And I just think that's kind of special right now. So mm. I'm giving Jax another shout out for the third nice. time in a row. I really thought that that story was going to go a different direction. I thought mm. you were going to say that they had sent her a cease and desist uh, letter. Yeah. yeah. And it was going to like blow up in a completely different way. Yeah. So I'm really uh, surprised by that twist. Yep. And the way she twisted it too, which is genius. Yep, exactly. So I want to uh, give a shout out to some friends of mine who I don't know if they know Steph or not, but they totally should. Um, So my friend Paige and uh, Evan Salt uh, are known as a band called Sleepy Kitty. They just played a show at Arlene's Grocery uh, this week. I'm sure you know about that, Steph. Oh, I've um, there plenty of times. <laughs> Evan used to be the drummer for a band called Harvey Danger back in the day. Oh. I remember that band. Yeah. And um, they have a new single out called Bigger Picture. And uh, they spent some time in St. Louis, which is why I know them. And they also have their own visual graphic company and things. It's really, really good. It's, a, it's the lead track from it. And um, it's really good. It's really clever. It's a great sort of, you know, power chord pop song with like, catchy lyrics and uh, great percussion. He's a drummer, Alan, so you'll be thrilled. Okay. Evan's a drummer, so you'll be thrilled. Yep. And there's just two of them, which is pretty great. And Jeffrey Lewis helped out with some of the, I think helped out with some of it as well. I think you know Jeffrey Lewis, Steph, from, from putting out albums back in the 90s. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I want to recommend that. And then also I want to recommend um, Blue Rev, uh, which is the new album from the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Uh, so we've reached... This thing now where all the bands in the early 2000s that went away are now all coming back. (laughs) The 90s are like our movie, but now it's the early 2000s, right? Okay. 
And the yeah, 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 you know, Karen O's been kind of doing her own thing for a while, and Nick Zimmer's been doing photography and stuff, and we haven't really had a proper yeah, yeah, yeah's record in a while. But uh, I'm really glad that her voice is still as good as it was, and it sounds like a yeah, yeah, yeah's record. Um, it doesn't have the sort of, like, huge pop hooks that, uh, you know, it's Blitz had, but it's much better than the last uh, album they put out, and it's just nice to have them back. Um, they're working a track now called Burning, on it, which uh, is really, really good, and uh, I recommend that. And then a band from Scotland that in the 90s was on uh, Sarah Records uh, called The Orchids, and they have a brand-new record out um, called The Dreaming Kind, and uh, there's a great song on it called This Boy's a Mess. Um, it's got that sort of, like, really cool 90s jangle pop on it, uh, which is great. I Want You, I Need You is good. Uh, I Don't Mean to Stare is probably one of my favorites. Uh, but it's just really good sort of 90s, jangly, C86 kind of like, um, you know, Brit you know, British Isles pop stuff, right? And um, I really like that a lot, too. Sweet. So, mm -hmm. there you go. Cool. Well, guess who else has a new album that came out this week? Who? Collective Soul. <sighs> <laughs> new album called Vibrating. Uh, really, I was very surprised. Well, first of all, no, I'm not surprised because it sounds exactly like any other Collective Soul album you've ever heard. So if you dig Collective Soul, then you're going to like this one. And um, I really found myself enjoying it. I listened through to it uh, this week and, um, you know, it's perfectly good, straightforward, solid rock. You know, totally my wheelhouse. So I really enjoyed it. And that's all I got this week because we're running long. So we're going to take a quick break. We will be right back in about 30 seconds to talk about our main topic, which is bad songs or bad albums by great bands. So see you in just a few. This Labor Day weekend, fandom is calling. Let Michael, Mike, Darren, and Jen help you answer the call with the latest news, notes, tips, and tricks on the DragonCon Report. Available as an audio podcast, Visit DragonConReport.com and for the first time ever, watch us on video via Facebook Live and YouTube. We want to help you celebrate your fandom in all the best ways. So listen up and we'll see you at the con. And welcome back. And if you were listening before the break, you have heard that our main topic this week is bad albums and bad songs by great bands. Think about albums like Saint Anger by Metallica or Union by Yes. Sorry, Alan. Or, you know, every band has done a stinker occasionally, even on a really, really phenomenal album. What mm. is that track that you always hit skip on? <laughs> so I think the way I would like to structure this is let's start with albums because I, I want to really get into some of those absolute turkeys. And then once we've exhausted that, because very few bands do a genuinely terrible album, we'll yeah. pivot a little and look at some of those bad songs that really, really great bands have done. Now, I've already tipped my hand in that the first album I want to talk about is Metallica's Saint Anger. And it's one that was particularly controversial among Metallica fans. And this is a fandom that hated their prior two efforts as well load and reload but mm. i think those have been 
revisited a little in recent years and fans are starting to appreciate them a bit more. But there's really, in my opinion, no saving Saint Anger. The moment that Lars decided to make his snare drum sound like he was banging on a trash can, yeah, it was over. Yeah, and I'm going to agree with you on that. That snare drum sound on that album and a couple of other ones is hideous. Mm. Yeah. And I'm going to say that album had a couple of songs on it. I mean, most of the album, I think the songs were lackluster, but it had a couple of songs that I think would sound pretty good if it just didn't have Lars constantly beating on a trash can. Yeah. You know, if he just decided to drum normally. So that's my first nomination. Um, who wants to go next? I'll go next. I have actually two in a row by this person. Who, oh, gosh. <laughs> but they have like, see, like you said, though, Anthony, you know, if you have a long career, you're bound to have a stinker or two, right? And so mine is Elton John. Um, my first, The first one, and, you know, I, I didn't realize this until afterwards, but they're both albums that Bernie Taupin did not write mm. with him on. I don't know whether that had to do with it or not, but maybe he was just in a down period. But I have a single man, which was released in 1978. And, you know, that actually had, well, that had part-time love on it. I don't know if you guys know that song, but it it was also kind of a cheesy tune, but it was a hit. And, but the, I don't know, the, the rest of it, there's just nothing for me on that. And followed by 1979's Victim of Love, which literally I don't even think I know anything from. So... <laughs> I, you know, I think what he had 31 or two albums he's had so far. So like, yeah. And and I think some people might say, well, leather jackets would probably take the cake, but I mean that, and that was not good, but I just, for me, those two in a row are just like, ugh, didn't, didn't work. Uh, first, Stephanie, are we still going to be friends? Um, yes, we'll always be friends. Okay. So I'm going to do, I'll do two real quick. Can I do that, Anthony? Sure thing. Before I get to the really, the stuff that's really going to make people like, threaten me um first on the list is octung baby by u2 okay that's um, all right it's fair with the exception of one which is a really great miserable breakup record um i actually like have just, a couple u2 records rob so you're you're mysterious ways is just garbage right <laughs> and war for me war is <gasps> one of my seminal records hearing as a kid so war is kind of the standard oh, okay. i hold Whew. i thought for, you were going to say war <laughs> And okay. I think the reason why I, the songs I love on Unforgettable Fire I like so much is because Brian Eno helped produce it, right? But Octung Baby is just sort of like, okay, I get it. You're completely going over the top. Uh, everything I suspected about suspected about Bono being like a giant egomaniac were completely confirmed. Um, you know, the edge plays on it, and that's about the only thing good I can say about it. Um, after that, Steph, is the second record from Jellyfish called Spilt Milk. No, you're kidding me no their first record no i'm not their first record is so incredibly amazing and i played it all the way through i wore the grooves out i bought like three copies of it and then uh when i listened to to, to spilt milk it just got a little something missing right and it needs more cowbell as they say um and some of it sounds a little rough and unfinished and, and uneven so i it's so funny how you would say that when I think that is one of my top 20 albums of all time. I mean, isn't that just, it's just what people like and what, you know, interesting, oh, very off, interesting. You're off the Christmas card list, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't even started yet, so it's okay. <laughs> oh, so, great. Alan, I know you were struggling to come up with full albums. Have you, have you got anything? 
I did struggle with this one because a I don't necessarily like to focus on the negative. You know, I like to, you know, and even albums that I, I try. Okay, let me back up. I try to draw a solid line between something I don't like and something I actually think is bad. There could be things that I don't like and I recognize, well, it's still okay. It's still a fine album or song or whatever. I just don't like it. So I try not to label anything as bad just because I don't like it. You know what I mean? But But there are certain things that I think I can unequivocally say are bad. Now, as far as full albums go, there's always something that can redeem an album. It might not be the greatest album. It might not be, you know, one of the top albums of whatever band or artist. But there's always going to be something on it that I'll like. And so what my first one that I'm thinking of is uh, from 2099 or 2000 um, Hours by Bowie. And the reason I picked that one is because throughout the 90s, he was on fire. He had these really creative, energetic, powerful albums, starting with the two Tin Machine albums. Uh, There was Outside, Earthling, The Buddha of Suburbia, um, a couple of other ones that are really great. And it's just this progression that he has of like pushing forward and staking out new territory as far as his creativity goes. And then he comes out with hours, which just felt like the floor dropped out from under him. It sounded old. It sounded tired. It sounded like I can't do that stuff anymore. And, you know, why try? And I just struggled with it so much. I didn't like it at all at first, partly because I was, you know, maybe not giving it its own chance to stand. And I was comparing it too much to what I had been hearing for the past 10 years that I loved so much. So it it was years, literally years. I would come back to this album and I would put it on and I would try to like it. And it's just like, oh, it just sounds so dreary. So it was a long, long time before I kind of came to terms with the album and really sort of liked it for its own merits. And now there, there's still a few moments on the album that I don't think are great. I do not think it stacks up to anything that he did in the previous three decades, actually. Um, but... I do like it and I, and I can kind of get behind most of it. There are some songs that I still just are too bland for me, but, but I have an appreciation for it now that was hard won. It took me like, I had to fight for that. I had to really fight against that album to actually like it. And I think when you have to really put effort in yeah, to actually appreciate an album that, that tells you something. Exactly. And Alan, you raised an interesting point because my next nomination is one where I think there are some very strong songs mm. on it. But the problem with this particular album is the production. Um, the album itself is from, what was it, 1995? And uh, it was Black Sabbath with, with Forbidden, which was mm-hmm. their last album of new material for about 16 17 years until they came back with 13 uh, in, I don't know what that was, 2014. And 
again, there are songs I like. There are songs I think could sound really good if they were remixed and remastered. But they brought in Ernie C from Body Count to do the production. And it just didn't work. (laughs) And it sounds so incredibly dated. And there are plenty of albums out from that time period in multiple genres, including heavy metal. And Black Sabbath are a very traditional metal band that sound a million times better. And for me, this is a bad album, not because of the songwriting or because of the singing. And I know a lot of people criticize Tony Martin, but I actually like the Tony Martin era of Black Sabbath. But the production just makes this album so bad. And I am really hoping that Tony Iommi eventually gets there with his remix of it. Mm. Because I think with the right production, it could sound great. Yeah, I'd go along with that one. And there I had... I didn't put them on my list, but I do have some examples of production being the downfall of what could have been a much better album. Like the material isn't necessarily the problem. It's the way the material sounds and is presented on the album that yeah. that really undermines it. Yeah. And, you know, there are certain genres where you almost expect bad production. You know, you right. don't want a punk album to sound polished. You expect exactly. those to sound like shit. If the Misfits came out with something that sounded oh, yeah. absurdly polished, you'd be like, what the hell is this? They exactly. sold that right. out. But, you know, certain bands, yeah, you, you expect better. Yeah. So so I have an album that is, is sort of what you were talking about, Alan, where it's like with Bowie, where he had, you know, all these things in a row. that were just so amazing and that was sort of like a letdown this is what i felt like with with um stevie nicks with the other side of the mirror which came out in 89 do you have that That, no that's so interesting the one that i was thinking about putting on my list was uh what's the one that came after that oh gosh Um, the one that had blue denim on it the first single i i just think you know it was after belladonna uh, the Wild Heart, and then Rock a Little, it, yeah. it, which was just like a sea of amazing material, you know, in, yeah. in just a number, a short number of years. That it's not like the other side of the mirror is bad. It's just that it was disappointing mm. compared to all of those great albums. Mm-hmm. And so I just think she had sort of like a lull in a way. And maybe yeah. like you're saying too, with the one after that, I'm not even sure what it was so maybe <laughs> i mean I, I really enjoyed um other side of the mirror when it first came out i i thought i don't think it was as good as those previous ones but i yeah. thought that it was strong and i and there was a lot of material on it that i really really liked a hmm. lot interesting i yeah. mean yeah i mean it's just again it's just what you what your preference is right like i mean yeah. to me i just i don't feel like anything could compare in mm-hmm. my mind to those other three albums yeah. on the, yeah. on that album. So whatever. Right. The one after that street angel from 94, um, she like, it doesn't even sound like she wants to be recording it. She's yeah. like completely coked out at the time. Yeah. I was going to say that too. Yeah. Yeah. She was just not in a good place. Right. There's still songs on it that I like an awful lot, but most of it just falls really flat and has the worst album cover. Like of any Stevie Nicks album, and it, it just looks like uh, I'm so deflated and tired, and um, <laughs> yeah, it just does not sell the album. It represents it accurately, but it doesn't sell it. <laughs> Stevie, that's a good, sorry, that's we a love good you, man. We love you, but <laughs> I saw her on that tour, and and it was great. Yeah. 
the Hooters opened for her, and I fucking love mm. the Hooters. And um, Peter Michael was the keyboardist in her band, and Peter Michael is Sheila E's little brother. And mm. I thought that was super awesome. So, but it was it was a fun show. I, I enjoyed that tour. From eighty two to eighty six, you get Shabu Shaba, you get the Swing, Ooh. and you get Listen Like Thieves. Okay, three amazing records. Then comes Kick. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's overproduced. It's oversaturated. And it's very heavy handed in its blatant attempt to be commercially popular. Okay. I'm not going to deny any of those things. And it's not that. And I, and I understand upon reflection that this is a band transitioning from being a rock band to like a stadium band. I know that now. Yeah. Yeah. But 97 me just knows that like, why are they doing Need You Tonight with the Radiate, Illuminate, Guardiate, whatever thing with the, what the hell are they doing that for? Right? <laughs> whatever the hell this is, right? Right. Whatever the hell they're doing. It's like, come on, man. Um, and it just, uh, compared to the songs they did before this that I really love, especially The Swing, which is very, probably their most complete record. Um, yeah. You know, just any, any assemblance of what the band was before that is kind of stripped away. And that's kind of why it's on my list. I mean, I can understand that. It was, it was, you don't want to call it the big sellout album, but it was the one that really put them over the top as far yeah. as like not being a sort of underground slash indie kind of band anymore. But yeah. there's still some great stuff on there. Like the opening track, Guns in the Sky. Holy shit, I love that yeah. song so much. And the whole album is really good, even if it is a bit, you know, overdone. So another one that everyone loves that I'm going to, oh, oh man, man, our hate mail is just going to be, um, I'm going to be replaced by like a, a robot. So if you look at 1969, right? Yeah, it's a year that's pretty tumultuous and a year of experimentation and lots of stuff's going on. But Miles Davis is coming off of Kind of Blue, Sketches of Spain, Someday My Prince Will Come, and in a silent way, then he drops this bomb of pure vile called Bitches Brew. Wow. I don't understand it. It's wow. just fucking noise to me. I've tried yeah. since I was 19 to understand it. I get that it's a hugely influential album mm. for for the it's the same thing with why I don't like Dylan. I just don't fucking get it. Right. Okay. Well, that's fair though. You don't yeah. get it. You know, it doesn't make sense to your your ear musically. Yeah. I never even really got into blue either, though. Yeah. But when you know? when I worked in a record store, I heard kind of blue literally. Every I mean, day. kind of blue. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I heard kind of blue like literally every day for like two years. So after a while, you kind of get used to it. Yeah. So if anyone would like to send us hate mail, you can send it <laughs> care of Westboro Baptist Church, Topeka, Kansas. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Anthony. So, yeah. I couldn't resist. <laughs> so I have another one that is the sound of a band breaking up. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and this is where i might end up off of rob's christmas list unless he no, agrees okay. with me on this and that is swayed with a new morning no i think you're right and candidly it's two in, different people in a band fighting over the band well, it's not even that i mean well, at I'd this point polite. brett has even though now he denies that he had a drug habit at this point i yeah I knew people in and around the band at that time. Oh, he had, and the reports yeah. were, were that he had a massive, massive cocaine habit that 
basically destroyed all of the recording sessions for that and led to an enormous amount of tension. Mm -hmm. So it's the album that's done to satisfy the label. It's the sound of a band breaking up. It's an album that should never have been made because Brett needed to go into rehab and sort his shit out. And the result is, candidly, after three incredible albums, one kind of decent one, this is the album they should never have made. Yeah. Mm. And I think it says a lot that Brett did go and sort his shit out, and now they're putting out album after album of great material again. Mm -hmm. You know, it only took them, I don't know what it was, 12, 15 years. to he's felt comfortable enough that, like, he's he's on the new Altered Images record, and he's on... Uh, an album with Jesse Buckley and he's kind of all over the place yeah. now you know he's really much more comfortable than he was but, at that time but that was just an album that really they shouldn't have made and they did and and it was a train wreck yeah. i mean there's not a song on that album that i like at all hmm. well, speaking of the sound of a band breaking up i have one that sort of would segue into that which um which is the clash's cut the crap album yeah from yep. 85 oh yeah um also on my list oh yeah because they did fire mick jones from that album i think (laughs) that's true (laughs) and uh, you can't really fire mick jones if you're like in the class that's just not the clash then it's you know um but anyway i i don't i didn't like anything on that album except i did not mind the single which was this is england i thought that was a kind of Mm -hmm. a cool song Mm -hmm. um but yeah that that's sort of in the vein of band breaking up time to just call it quits and cut yeah. the crap. <laughs> I got quick too, uh, too, and I, you're not going to believe that I'm saying it, but I got you too. Um, I feel like for me, Zuropa wasn't wasn't really there, and I also am not mm. a fan of pop. Um, those oh, two wow. albums, just I know Anthony, you were saying you kind of were getting into their later stuff, so I don't want to. Well, I feel like it, it's interesting you say that, Stephanie, because I've. I read a lot as I listen to music. I tend to, particularly older albums, which at this point pop is, I don't know, what, um, 15, no, 25 years old. Yeah. It's about 97. 97. Um, And I was reading how a lot of fans at the time saw it as a kind of new direction, and it's genuinely or generally not loved amongst U2 fans. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, I thought Staring at the Sun was a great track, but... um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, from what I've heard, that seems to be the one more traditional U2 track where they haven't introduced elements of techno. So Right, and that really bothered me. I mean, I like a good techno song. I'm not, yeah. you know, but not from U2. I was just not yeah. happy with yeah. that. So, Yeah. Well, speaking of a techno album, though, Anthony, you had something that you were going to bring up from Lady Madonna. Oh yeah, I mean Madonna with MNDA. I mean, I mean, yeah, what is M- MDNA. MDNA. Uh, yeah. MDNA. <laughs> uh, for me, Madonna has been a story of diminishing returns for a long time. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. And I think I think it started going south probably with Hard Candy, and it's just kept going since then. Mm-hmm. And I I still have memories of watching that train wreck of a super bowl performance where <laughs> mia mia got in trouble for flipping the bird and mm-hmm. she brought, you know she brought on mia and Nicki minaj and it, it just felt like she was at that point trying a bit too hard to stay relevant and yeah. in blatantly trying so hard 
painfully proving why she was not relevant. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Great, great way to put that. Yeah. yeah. I had a Madonna on my list too, and it could have easily been that one, but I went with her most recent one, Madam X. And I think you're exactly right in that she continues to try and push the envelope, but she's not doing it very well. And uh, she's wanting to still be a cutting edge artist. And I just don't think it works for her at this point. No. Madam X conceptually was a, it was, it was a, an interesting concept. It, it's sort of like, you know, the, the international espionage kind of angle. And I think that could really have worked if the material was better, but I just don't, I mean, I just didn't find anything on it that I liked. And I hate to, you know, kind of trash a whole album, but it just, I just didn't enjoy it. And recently she was on Fallon or or one of the talk shows. Fallon, yeah. Talking about how she's sort of come to that place where she's happy and comfortable being a legacy artist. Well, finally, thank (laughs) God. I mean, come on. Yeah. You, you can't keep doing what you're doing and you know it was like five years ago uh it was not uh mdna it was maybe the album after that where she had this horrible horrible song called bitch i'm madonna and she did that on one of the talk shows and it was just atrocious so just just be a legacy artist go out and play your greatest hits go back to some of those 80s hits that you haven't played in a million years and, you know, maybe do a new album in that vein, you know, just just mm-hmm. accept who you are, just accept where your career should be at this point. So a uh, li- little bit of a funny story uh, about Madonna. Sorry, this is a bit of a sidetrack, but it, okay. it, you reminded me of this. And I want to say in the mid 2000s, she went on tour and refused to play any songs that were, you know, older than about five years. Yeah. And you also know there's like a stereotype of kind of loutish British guys, an attractive woman walks past and they might shout, get your tits out, love. Yeah. Well, a couple of friends of mine back home, delightful gay couple, were in the front row for Madonna. And when she said, I'm going to play an old song and it was only, you know, one from the mid 90s or something like that, they yelled, get your hits out, love. (laughs) <laughs> I thought it was the greatest that thing is hilarious. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because Bowie went through that whole period too, where he was like, I don't mm-hmm. want to play any of my hits. I don't want to yeah. play 70s stuff and I don't want to play 80s stuff unless it's something really weird and obscure. And so I, I kind of get that. Now, Bowie came back around to it. That's what Madonna needs to do at this point. Yeah. 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 Just go out and do a show a tour that celebrates her legacy mm-hmm. and it will be the biggest selling concert ticket in the history of concerts put it in guaranteed i wanted to give a shout out to union by yes i alluded to it in at the beginning there are there's some good material on there but the problem yeah. is they tried to unite the two different lineups of the band to do mm-hmm. a single album and it just sounds disjointed to me yeah Again, some of these albums I'm raising up are not necessarily bad albums or they have some good material on them, but there's a reason why they don't work as a cohesive whole. Yeah. And that for me is why Union gets on there is, again, there's some good material there, but as a whole concept, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Well, and they didn't actually 
unite the band. They just right. turned in the material from two completely separate recording sessions into one big pot and yep. hired a producer to put it all together. And the producer stepped way outside of his um, role and started adding session musicians on top of it to try and blend these things together. And as you say, there is some great stuff. Shock to the System from Steve mm -hmm. Howe is one of my favorite Yes songs from that whole period, from that whole decade. Um, and there's some other great stuff on there too. Uh, some of Trevor's material is really good, but it does not come together in any kind of cohesive way yeah and really it should have been two separate albums and they should yeah. have allowed each lineup just to you know put out a whole album yeah exactly but they wanted to get that tour with all eight current members from the two different lineups on stage together and do that thing and the tour was great mm -hmm. the album did not come together yeah all right so i've got a couple of things that um i want to throw out there uh, one of them is Rainbow Children by Prince. He was in this period where he was doing really out there experimental kind of stuff, which I'm normally all in favor of. But this one was a sort of Noah's Ark allegory and um, done in a really strange way where it's very sort of jazz oriented and uh, not very funk at all. And he does this thing where he has a narrator on the album, which is just him with his voice modulated down electronically to an incredibly deep register where all the narration is really like this. And it's headache inducing and it's just a train wreck. And none of the, uh, none of the material is so good that you would want to listen to it outside of, you know, mm -hmm. that, um, there's a whole category of albums that I don't necessarily think are bad, but I think they're unnecessary. And that's when a longstanding existing band does a covers album. Yeah. Fuck all of that shit right off the top, <laughs> right off the bat. Fuck it. So Duran Duran did Thank You, which was I was terrible. Bring this up. Yeah. Terrible. Styx did one. Rush did one. There's 100% no reason for Rush to do a covers album. Mm -mm. I, I'm not going to buy... And, and, no reason for Rush to do an album. Oh, Sorry! Now, now stop it. <laughs> and, you know, I am like a diehard Rush, but I have still never bought that album, and I just don't have any interest in it. Now, Queensryche did one, too, which I thought was... I, I still don't want to hear it, but I thought it was interesting because they did this sort of weird collection of really unexpected stuff where they really sort of heavy up and, and sort of like heavy metal these songs by Crosby, Stills and Nash and the mm -hmm. OJs and a song from Jesus Christ Superstar. And it's just like, what are you fucking doing? And they did a, a cover of Synchronicity too, which wow. was bizarre, but I, I, I kind of like it. And a, a really straight ahead, no frills, cover of neon nights by black sabbath but i've got the original i don't need to hear queens do it you know i think the only time i'm okay with that is if a band has done a bunch of covers as a b-side yeah and then issues them as a compilation album later on yeah that's kind of yeah. acceptable yeah yeah, uh, yeah. that feels and like I'm less not a, of a cheat right and i'm not opposed to a cover here and there or even a cover per album but do not do because that to me that just says 
we are at the end of our rope. We have nothing more to give. So here's a bunch of shit that other people already gave us. I just my, don't like it. One of my least favorite bands out there who are sadly loved by many people, um, commonly known as Def Leppard, did that in 2006 <laughs> mm-hmm. with Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Steph. I, I'm probably <laughs> off your Christmas card list now as well. <laughs> All right. Stop. They were actually the first band I ever saw live. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. They were quite good live, but. Yeah, they are. Oh, I was going to throw in Crowded House and Trigger. Um, hmm. I think it's the weakest one of theirs. Um, Howard Jones, one on one. And um, in the same way, I don't get bitches through, I just do not get Lou Reed metal machine music. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering well, if anyone was going to bring up metal machine music. Right. Or Lulu, for that matter. Ooh. Yeah. that That's a whole podcast on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dissecting so, Lulu. I was doing research for this topic to see if... Because at first, I just couldn't put anything on my list. I just didn't know what I was going to talk about. So I did a little research. And I believe I have uncovered, inarguably, the worst album that has ever been made. Oh, my God. It is called... And I, I had not heard of this before. It is called Having Fun with Elvis on Stage. It is literally a collection of his stage banter with, <laughs> with no songs in between it. No. Colonel Tom Parker, his goal was to self-release an Elvis album because Elvis was had become this enormous figure by this point. He started his own record label. He wanted to put a, an Elvis album on it, but he couldn't use any of the material that was technically owned by RCA. So he just made a collection of stage banter, like Elvis telling jokes on stage and Elvis doing song introductions on stage, but he'll introduce a song that's not actually on this record. That's fantastically Isn't horrible. that amazing? Yeah, that's a, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> I just, I've got to hear this now. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's genius. <laughs> Excellent. I realized we said we were going to talk about some songs. I don't have that many songs. so Okay, um, go ahead. Yeah, just throw them out. Yeah, the, the big song, the big thing I absolutely cannot stand more than anything else is Human by the Human League. Um, those early records they made were so great. That is absolutely horrible. Um, <laughs> my all-time least favorite song in the history of man is True by Spandau Ballet. It is complete garbage. I don't and, get the hate for that. I love that. And from not and, just from uh, you, from anybody. I, and, I think it's a great And uh, also, um, ABC released this, this single called When Smokey Sings, which oh, is supposed yeah. to be a tribute to Smokey Robinson. But that record is just, what the hell is this? Right? You guys made Lexicon Love, which is like one of the greatest records yeah. of the early 1980s. It's garbage, right? Uh, it's just absolutely friggin' terrible. And then I also am in the minority of people that I do not love uh, the Love and Rockets hit single "So Alive," so okay. All right, I hate everything. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's got to. So I'm gonna go with um, my top pick, which is you know it's like a, a bad earworm that's been going through my head all week. So there's something going for it, I guess, but it's by one of my idols of all time, Ann Wilson, oh. and it's called "Almost Paradise," and it's from the. Footloose soundtrack and (laughs) it's a duet with Mike. First of all, she, there's like three strikes against it's like Mike Reno from Loverboy is the partner that she's singing with. Like one of the most to me, sorry if anyone likes Loverboy, but one of the least cool, like maybe like even less cool than quarter flash or something to me. So, So 
I can't, I just can't understand. Your, what your are you shop. saying about quarter flash? You, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm going to offend people too oh, it doesn't on matter. this show. But anyway, so Almost Paradise just pretty much takes the cake as as the schlockiest song. Um, I, it's horrible. It's, it's horrible. Yeah. I, I, why I, another one is uh, mother on synchronicity by the police. I, it's mm. one of the, it's one of the worst songs I've ever heard. I'm so sorry, Andy Summers. I love you more. And I love the police almost more than anything, but that there's no reason for that song to even be I, in existence. I find mother so interesting. I, okay. I enjoy it. I'm sorry, but no, that's fine. You, yeah, this is I, a lot I really do. Um, like what you like. Yep, exactly. exactly. Beach Boys, Kokomo. I think there oh, needs ugh. to be nothing else said about that. Fuck that stupid song. Fuck it. I hate and, it. And two more, Ebony and Ivory. Sorry. Thank you. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Nope, that's on my list. Okay, and lastly, Up Where We Belong by Joe oh, Cocker. Preach. Jesus, I hate preach. that song. Well, that's <laughs> funny that you mentioned Ebony and Ivory because I have that and say 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 uh, yeah, yeah. on my song and you know I'm a diehard McCartney fan but you know sure. and those those records sold truckloads but no thank you yeah, and yeah. Um, we built this city by Starship <laughs> thank you atrocious yeah. um, in fact that whole like era after Paul Kantner left the band is just not that great um, I stuck around and listened to everything they recorded just because of Grace Slick. And even she was like, oh, this sucks. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> so, um, and then the last one is, and this goes back to my Florida roots, where every station played this song every fucking 15 minutes, Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, my God. I hate that shit so <laughs> badly. It's a wedding yeah. staple here. Oh, my God. So, Avalon by Roxy Music. Yes. Oh, really? What? Yeah, really? I, okay. I it sets my teeth on edge. So I really love early Roxy music. So once yeah. they get into that middle of the road stuff, mm-hmm. okay. And me and my friend Adam were went to see Brian um, Ferry a few years ago, and there was this drunk woman uh, standing in front of us who, in the middle of in every dream, home or heartache, started screaming for Avalon, and I'm just like, Good God, please stop. And of course, as soon as he played Avalon, she left. So I was <laughs> wow. so annoyed. Um, also, one of my favorite bands, but I, I want to say Cannibal Surf Babe by Marillion, which mm. is just such a bizarre addition to their catalog. It doesn't mm. really fit in with the album it's on. They're trying to do a Beach Boys pastiche. Uh, musically, it kind of works, but the lyrics are terrible. Mm. And then last but not least, and I'm probably going to get some hate for this, but as a diehard fan of the prog era of Genesis, I cannot stand Invisible Touch. Mm. Oh, God, no, 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 hate it. Um, It it actually works quite well live, but no, no, thank you. Nah. All right. And that's those are my three shout outs for bad songs from great bands. All right. So I got I got a thing I want to share with you. Um. As I was doing my research for this topic, I came across some things that I really enjoy. Something that I have always really loved is a really cleverly written bad review. And I've I've put together a little list of some of the things that I came across uh, this afternoon when I was looking at some of these things. And I just want to read these because they're just magnificent. So there's an album called Famous First Words by the Viva Brothers. And I found a quote that said, 
this album is an abomination. It's a rancid <laughs> pile of regurgitated tripe. <laughs> Excellent. Phil, Phil Collins, the album is Testify. And the review said, Middle Age is no excuse for such an unforgivably bland collection of over-emoted love songs. <laughs> There's an album called One by Dirty Vegas. And basically, oh. he summed it up by saying that it was exhaustingly awful. <laughs> Charlie Puth, who was a kind of a current heartthrob sort of singer-songwriter guy, has an album called Nine Track Mind because there's nine songs on it. Clever. And the review said that it whimpers like a sick kitten. Nickelback. <laughs> All the right reasons. This is a good one. All the right reasons is so depressing. You're almost glad Kurt Cobain's not around to hear it. Oh, <laughs> Amazing. Some of this is reminding me of that scene in This Is Spinal Tap when they're going through some of the reviews and they talk about, uh, is yep. it shark sandwich? And the review simply read, shit sandwich. Yep, <laughs> yep. exactly. So St. Anger, which we mentioned a little while ago, the reviewer said, when your most productive band member is the life coach you're paying $10,000 a week to, you've got problems. <laughs> Hard to um, Kiss, Lick It Up, which is an album I absolutely love. Kiss makes an album without Ace Fraley, without masks, and oops, without songs, too. <laughs> <laughs> and my favorite one that I found today, well, I don't know, the Kurt Cobain one may be my favorite one, so this might be a runner-up. But Alanis's second album, well, actually, it's her fourth, but nobody counts the two before, you know, she got famous. Supposed former Infatuation Junkie is her fourth album. Basically, the musical version of Eat, Pray, Love, although at least Elizabeth Gilbert doesn't seem to harbor an ongoing grudge against the English language. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. So thank you, reviewers, for <laughs> giving me to, some gold to share. This is like, you know, like the Elvis album you just talked about. They need to do an al uh, just an album of reviews, just people speaking the bad reviews. <laughs> be That's it's, awesome. It's like those uh, segments on, is it Kimmel? Or is it one of the other talk shows where celebrities read out mean tweets about themselves? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's genius. That's genius. I used to work for an independent publishing company, and we uh, released a collection of poetry by three different horror authors. And um, one of so what were we, we were collecting blurbs from some of their previous work as like, you know, some reviews. And one of them sent as their blurb a quote from a rejection letter that they got. Because it was such an amazing rejection letter. <laughs> and we were like, we're printing that. That's <laughs> outstanding. Oh, that's fantastic. So unfortunately, Rob had to leave, but um, we're at our time. So Stephanie, where can people find more about you on the internet? Well, you can find me at my website, therearebirds.com. Um, you can find me on Bandcamp, just under my name, Stephanie Seymour. And uh, on, um, you know, those... Um, you know, Spotify and all the streaming platforms. Right on. Anthony. As usual, you can also find me on the Watchers in the Fourth Dimension podcast, watching our way through all of Doctor Who from 1963 until now. We are coming to the end of the John Pertwee era, so we're up to the end of 1974. And uh, 
as usual, you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, um, Apple Podcasts, all the places where you like to get your podcasts, really, including wherever you're listening to this one. It's as easy as that. And you can also find us on social media, um, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at, at Watchers4D. I will say that you can find Rob. He does a radio show called Juxtaposition, and you can find him at kdhx.org. The show is on every Wednesday night, and it's archived for two weeks following. So if you miss it on a Wednesday, you can catch it anytime within the next two weeks. And it's fantastic. And it's fantastic. And you can also uh, find him at needcoffee.com. And I have a little podcast called Earth Station Trek, which is a Star Trek podcast. You can find it on all the same uh, networks that uh, Anthony just mentioned his are on and ours are I don't know. Anyway, and uh, my little publishing company, CosmicPress.com. We will be back in a week with another topic, and we will see you then. Everybody have a great week. Thanks for listening, and we will see you soon. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network. Your station for all things geek.